Hello everyone, I'm Ram Harrig, and the host of Her Voice, MasterCard's podcast series that lifts the lids on the success stories of phenomenal women entrepreneurs in the Middle East. As I speak with these amazing women, their stories will be amplified through this series, strengthening and amplifying their opinion, experience, and impact on others. Their inspirational stories will be their own personal accounts of what it means to be a woman with big dreams and how these dreams can be achieved despite struggles and challenges. Her voice was born out of MasterCard's vision to support small businesses to strengthen and grow a digital economy that works for everyone everywhere, including women entrepreneurs. And that's why I have this pleasure of sitting down with six inspirational women, a rare opportunity to learn how they found their own voice against the odds and how they learned to stand up and be heard. We'll also discover and celebrate the exciting progress that has been made in line with Saudi Arabia's vision 2030. So grab a coffee, sit back as we amplify her voice through inspiring stories. Welcome to the MasterCard Her Voice podcast series. Today, I want to introduce a woman who has tenaciously carved out a highly successful career as the founder of Saudi Arabia's first tech inclusion and female focus accelerator. Eman Shakur, welcome to MasterCard, Her Voice. It's a real pleasure to have you. And finally, we get to speak. <laughs> hello, hello, Raha. It's such an honor to be on the podcast with you. So thank you for having me. And I'm really excited. My pleasure. I'm going to start really easy, okay? okay? So just please explain for people who are like myself, what is Tech Inclusion and Female Focus Accelerator? Awesome. So we'll start off with an accelerator. So I started my company almost now five years ago. And what we are is we are a business accelerator, meaning we specifically help female founders and gender diverse teams and diverse entrepreneurs start companies, scale companies, scale their companies, get investment and help them eventually exit those companies as well. An accelerator is an intensive program that you get accepted to usually three months long. It's almost acts like a mini MBA. You get exposure to a variety of lessons on business and design and marketing and legal and branding. You meet a lot of mentors uh, that help you build up your company. And you also get warm introductions to investors. And it usually ends with something called a demo day where you get to pitch to um, a lot of different VCs, venture capital firms, or angels uh, to help increase the likelihood of your company receiving investment. And so, yeah, so at Blossom, we specialize in these programs, whether they're the accelerator programs, we do other programs that are like boot camps, we do hackathons, we do ideathons. And the reason why we're tech inclusion, and we, we like to use that word specifically in female focus, is we focus on teams or startups that have at least one woman on the team. Whether she's a CEO, COO, we usually require that a woman owns at least 10% stake into the company um, as a way to 
see more women creating companies, see more women at the top. If you look at Fortune 500 companies today, if you think of any company, especially tech companies today, whether it comes to mind Tesla or Uber or any other company, they're mostly dominated by men. And this is not a phenomena that's unique to the MENA region or to Saudi. This is a global phenomena where even in Silicon Valley, only 2% of women receive venture capital funding. So I started this company to help bridge that cap and really help more women not only start companies, but get investment and get the visibility they need to create a more equitable world in entrepreneurship and VC. One of the key pillars of MasterCard is gender diversity, and this runs in harmony with your great work. Honestly, I'm very impressed. So supporting female startups in Saudi Arabia is what specifically do you do to empower this specific group? I love the question. I'm so happy you asked because every day of my life for the last five years, I get asked, Iman, why did you start a female focus accelerator? Like, Like, why did you do it? Why are you focusing on women? And the biggest thing I really want to point out that's so important to me is that we don't focus on women because it's like, oh, poor women who need help. We focus on women because women and female founders are the fastest growing segment of entrepreneurs worldwide. There are more women starting companies today than ever before in history. In fact, according to the Global Entrepreneurship Monitor in Saudi, Half of our entrepreneurs are women, are women-led companies. Yet, although they're the fastest growing segment, they also happen to be the most underserved. If you look at venture capital, VCs or investors that are investing in companies today, they're vastly investing in male-dominated companies and companies that are, you know, an all-male founding team. And so begs the question, why are women not receiving as much of the deals or as much money in comparison to the male counterpart? So the pillar and the main reason that we focus on women is we also believe that women, and there's so much research to back this up, and it's not just about women, it's about gender diverse teams, it's about bringing inclusivity as part of startup and technology and innovation and entrepreneurship. There's so much research that shows that having at least one woman on your team increases profit margins, increases revenue. There's so many unique skill set that women bring to the table, like emotional intelligence, like empathy, like that perfectionist syndrome to get the stuff right. And today uh, we're focusing on women because we want to shift the focus into companies that would yield more return and more ROI for the investor and also capitalize on the fact that there are so many women-led tech companies and there are so many female-led deal flow. Um, but really help bridge that gap because there's still this gap where they're still not receiving as much funding due to gender bias, due to unconscious bias, a lot of other reasons uh, that are not, that a lot of investors themselves are not fully aware of some, you know, things that female founders can do better of. So we're here to bridge that gap. And and that's essentially why we believe, you know, female-led is a huge future. And there's a, there's a whole thing around it, femtech, they call it. Absolutely. And you can see a very big shift. And that brings me to my next question. Do you think it has become easier for women to succeed now that most Gulf countries have introduced gender equality for reforms? Absolutely. I mean, I remember back in 2015, 16 and 17, I had started two companies prior to Blossom Accelerator, one based out of California and another one based in Saudi. And at that time, I mean, the the kinds of questions I would receive from investors were quite boggling. I've had investors ask me when I plan to get married. 
And I realized that they asked me that because they often look at women as a liability and a risk rather than an asset. And so there was this conflation or conflict of interest between a woman's ability to start a company and that conflicting with her choice of having a family. And as you know, men are never asked that question. Men are never asked, oh, are you looking to be a father in your 20s while you're starting this tech startup? Yet women were asked that question. I was personally asked that question. And we're seeing that these conversations are really changing. And, you know, if you look at the news, you know, you have Wafal Ubaidat playbook who just raised $700,000 pre-seed. You have uh, Salwa Radwi uh, with Nukta NFT raising around. You have Shahad Jifri, I think around $2 million for her seed stage. And so, you know, a lot of the times you cannot be what you cannot see, but now those examples are really changing and it's really an exciting time. And in my opinion, the best time for any kind of, uh, for, for both genders to start a company, but especially female founders. So I'm excited for the changes and definitely excited to be part of the change as well. I'm the same. I'm also one of those people that sees this time now and thinks, oh my God, it's our time. It's such an awesome time to be a woman. But now that you mention all of these incredible things in general, I want to make it more personal. You have shown incredible levels of tenacity. So I want to know more about your journey. You did your bachelor's degree in cognitive science in the US, worked as a neuroscience researcher and carried out clinical trials for Pfizer across North America. Where were the challenges you had to overcome and how has this shaped you in the person you are today? Ah, this is a long answer. But essentially, you know, my company also focuses on tech inclusion, um, which is, you know, in Arabic, and a lot of people ask me, like, why are you focusing on inclusion? Like, where did you get this word from? And like, why is it important to you beyond women? Like, why don't you just say female focus and that's it? Like, why is more inclusivity important to you? And it definitely stems from my personal experience. And I'm really open about it from ever since I could remember, which is the age of four. I've always had epilepsy. And I had over 50 plus seizures uh, which is a tashanujat in Arabic, for nearly 20 years of my life. I lived with them day in, day out, through school, through math classes, biology classes. I mean, you know, I definitely was bullied a lot in school through my first interviews, through college. I swam with them in the Pacific Ocean and the Red Sea. I, I did rock climbing with them. I did gymnastics with them. Um, and it really, you know, molded the tenacity that I think that I have today. And I also firsthand was raised in a world, whether it was Saudi or even when I would spend summers in the U.S., I was raised in a world where I did not feel like I belonged. I felt it. I I grew up feeling excluded. That word inclusivity is so important to me because I firsthand know what it's like to be a diverse founder that's different from the other traditional entrepreneur. And I know firsthand how diverse entrepreneurs can bring certain different skill set, perspectives, based on the fact that they've led unique lives. And I'm sure that I'm one of many, many people who have a disorder, a neurological disorder. There are many other that we don't talk about. You know, disorder is always a a, a dirty word where I think it should be a word that's celebrated. You know, um, I really call it like neurodiverse. And so there's a lot of people out there that have ADHD, that have 
whether it was uh, different disorders. I mean, there's a lot of also proven uh, spectrums of autism, um, bipolar disorder. I mean, the list can go on and on and on. And some of them are not neurological. And these people are usually brushed, put on the side, and they have incredible wit and ability to add to create companies that could potentially be unicorns or multi-million dollar companies. And that's also why tech inclusion is so important to me. And it's really inclusion from all points and perspectives. And so when we speak about women, we're just really speaking about the entrepreneur. um, And and now, you know, as, as time is evolving and women are becoming more included, we're really speaking about all kinds of entrepreneurs that are overlooked. And so a huge part of our mission and what we do as well um, is looking at diverse teams. So if people come in with unique experiences, we look at that as complete assets. And essentially because they're able to solve problems differently, right? If you had a team of people that all had similar experiences, similar backgrounds, I don't think that makes for the best team. I admire that your tenacity comes from a dark place and you've made it into something very light and very helpful for others. That takes a lot and I can absolutely commend you and connect with you because I also face something very similar. You are the founder of a hugely successful tech startup. You've presented TEDx on women's empowerment and you have represented women entrepreneurs at the World Economic Forum in Davos. Girl, you've been everywhere. This resonates with the work MasterCards is doing to bring 50 million small businesses to the digital economy by 2025. A global commitment that has also placed a direct focus on including 25 million women entrepreneurs. How important is it that these avenues are open to females in what is considered in partly, maybe it's changing now, but mostly a male-dominated world? Ah, I love it. It's vital. It's not just important, it's beyond. And um, it has a direct impact on our economy. So, you know, previously when I spoke about female founders, women empowerment, people thought it was a cute CSR initiative, right? They thought it was a great idea for a nonprofit. Today we know... I hate when it's considered like, oh, let's just do something on the side, not like a main... Absolutely. And, and you know, for a long time, that's what women empowerment was perceived to a lot of people, like a CSR initiative. It was great for a branding campaign. It was great to have, you know, if we're going to have an advisory board of five men, well, let's just make room for one woman so we can say we have a woman. Let's open a management seat for a woman so we can say we have a manager female in our company. But today, including women and selecting the best women for the job, I mean, we always say we accelerate and believe in the exponential power of exceptional female talent. So we're not choosing women because they're women, because that's a false narrative and story, and that's not going to help anyone. We're choosing the best of the best, and we believe that women have a lot to add to the table in this male-dominated entrepreneurship, tech, and VC ecosystem. And it's global, like I mentioned, I mean, in Silicon Valley, which is like the creme de la creme of tech startups. Every multi-billion dollar, you know, company under the sun came out of Menlo Park and, and, and San Mateo and, you know, San Francisco. And even there, only 2% of VC funding, of venture capital funding goes to women. According to the latest report by Magnet, although we're doing better in the MENA region, it's only about 5.1% here, meaning 95% of funding goes to male founders. Think of that for a second. Let that sink 
skin. And so what happens when 95% of venture capital funding is going to only specific kinds of teams or specific kinds of genders is that a lot of great ideas are being left out. A lot of amazing biotech companies that are focusing on women's health, a lot of um, challenges and problems that different startups that are women-led that are that are pioneering to solve problems, particularly relating to the female clientele, are being overlooked. And so a lot of people think, oh, well, this funding, this 95% of funding that's going to men is only going to men because the women-led companies aren't good enough. And that's not the reality of the story. I mean, then that's literally saying that 95% of men-led companies are just smarter than women. And that's just not the case. So it's a really great time for us to look at these statistics, to analyze them further, to partner together, to create alliances. And we need men to be part of this ecosystem. We need the men as much as we need the women. But it's a great time to reflect and ask ourselves, why does this gap exist? What can we do to solve it? And how can we get more women-led companies funding? Because it essentially just leads to better economic returns for our country, for the ecosystem, and better ROI. So it's great for everyone. I love that you mentioned this because this is something that people don't understand or misunderstand. They think that women wanted to be women-dominated. That's not true. We wanted right. we want to have an equal piece of the pie and an equal chance at the pie. It's not just, oh, we Absolutely. want to we want to remove all the ma- male counterparts. It doesn't work like that. You know, we're we we coexist into this world. And yeah, honestly, I couldn't agree with you more. And I just only highlighted the economic returns of investing in women and gender diverse teams. There's a whole bunch of amazing positive benefits in terms of social impact as well, which is amazing. For example, there's so much research that shows, I mean, today worldwide, 50% of marriages, unfortunately, end up in divorce. And there's so much research today that shows that the best, healthiest marriage and relationships are those where both men and women, husband and wife are contributing. And so what happens happens is when you have a a wife or your partner who's contributing in the home in, you know, bringing home the money and also that same level of contribution from traditionally what, you know, men don't regard as their duties, but domestic duties, it increases to happier marriages. It increases to people who live longer. It increases uh, the, the children who are growing up in that household to have better Um, and more equal to gender norms, right? This idea that women should not be working and their main thing should be in the home, which some people still believe. All those actually um, create trauma within the home long-term and they don't lead to happier lives, happier marriages. There's so much other social benefits, obviously, like I mentioned before, for corporate, increased revenue for a country. And so the message that I really want to deliver is investing in female founders and empowering women is not just good for women. It's good and in fact, great for men too. So, and, 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 you know, it's really about a conversation shifting from not just, oh, she's female focused. She's just focused on women for women, focused on women for the good of all. You're kind of like making my life so much easier because you just mentioned female founders. And this is exactly what I wanted to ask you about. Um, how important is it for female founders to have a female role models to learn from along their entrepreneur path? Oh, I love that. Um, vital also. I'll like switch it from important to, you know, it, it's, it needs to be. Um, and there's this amazing quote. I think I mentioned it before. You cannot be what you cannot see. So if you grew up in a world, hypothetically, where there are no female doctors, 
Are there no female venture capitalists? There are no women, you know, uh, climbing Everest and conquering the highest peaks of the world. It's hard to emulate, to imagine yourself conquering in that same manner, right? And we see this not only amongst women, we see this amongst all kinds of minorities, if you may, and all populations that are not considered as included um, in different ecosystems and countries. Uh, So that's one part. The second part is when you see women succeed and you see them go out and do something that you've maybe been dreaming about, it validates that, you know what, you can too. And I really want to shift the conversation because so much of today around, you know, women empowering other women, there's this unspoken thing that exists called the glass ceiling effect. And today, because yes, there is this movement of women empowerment and more inclusion and, 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 what it's also created is this unhealthy competitiveness amongst women, whether it's in corporates, whether they're female founders, where they feel like, they feel like it's either me or you. If there's five advisory board seats, they're obviously all going to men and there's only one seat for the woman. So you know what, Raha, I'm going to have to, you know, really compete hard with you an unhealthy manner. And so it's so important for more uh, female mentors to come into the picture and be gatekeepers that open the gates where it's not just women mentoring other women, but it's women sponsoring other women. And it's about changing the whole system of not, hey, you're a woman, let me give you a seat because you're a woman. It's about actually changing the whole table and recreating the rules because the rules of the past are really no longer serving the future that we're living in today. Absolutely. I think humans are basically very complex computers that need programming. And if you don't see examples of what you aspire to be, you have to reprogram yourself with that to begin with. You start from minus 10. Do you know what I mean? But if you grow up in 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 an environment that already has that, then the starting line becomes so much more closer to you, doesn't it? as opposed to you have to break like, and this comes from experience. I might have some experience about this matter. <laughs> so it's so much harder when you are completely out of, you come from left field and just crash into the norms and the standards. So I, I love that you mentioned that growing up, I didn't have that. I didn't have that role model that I have today. And I'm so grateful to have today. And actually this brings me to my last question, speaking of growing up and role models and childhood. So finally, I wanted to ask you if you had a time machine and you couldn't go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? That's a really great question. If I could give myself advice, I would say really believe in yourself. You are capable of doing a lot more than you think. And I say this even from the outset of maybe perceivingly, you know, from outside, oh my gosh, you're already so accomplished. You've already had these things. I think I could have pushed myself more. And I think um, my advice to myself is beware of your inner imposter syndrome. My advice would also be don't take advice from everyone who wants to give it. You're going to get a lot of advices from a lot of different people. It's up to you to be selective, to invite some pieces of advice and then to filter some out. Um, I would say model off people who've already done it. A lot of people, again, are quick to give you advice, but they're not the subject matter expert to have ever done X, Y, or Z. I would say to also anyone listening and even to myself in a, you know, a few years back, you know, business is not personal business can be ruthless and it can be cutthroat. And at the end of the day, 
as women, we tend to be perfectionists and people pleasers. And I think it's best to put yourself first and your company, company's needs first and do what's best first and foremost for that. And then lastly, take care of yourself. Go to the gym, make time for yourself. That's a meeting with yourself. You know, if you need to do meditation, if you're into life coaching, if you're into positive affirmations, if you want to take extra classes or courses on Udemy or Coursera or with Blossom or anyone else, invest in yourself. And um, if people tell you no, never take no for an answer. Love that. And because you're such a lovely host and a fantastic speaker, here's a curveball to you. What do okay. you think is something that is priceless? I guess, gosh, I mean, I, there, I think your mental health is priceless. I guess this kind of ties back into my advice earlier with being selfish and doing what's best for you. And a lot of the times, you know, there's this outside pressure to do things a certain way, maybe based on what some people, family might think, society might think, maybe some of your business partners might think, but you ultimately have to be, you know, the boss, if you may, of your own life and do what's best for you and take care of your own health and mental health, especially, especially that this is a rising topic that is just we're beginning to scratch the surface of. And it's a huge component of any woman who wants to be fearlessly successful or any kind of founder, man or woman, is your mental health is priceless. It's not spoken about enough. In the awake of the pandemic, I know that most people have, have gone through it, have heard about it, have used the word maybe anxiety or depression whether it was personally or to refer to someone else. So take care of yourself and be kind to yourself because your mental health is absolutely priceless. Oh, Amon, I love that. You really surprised me and I, I can absolutely relate. And it's very important to highlight. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today and for agreeing to speak so candidly and so beautifully about your journey. I think it's so powerful to hear about challenges you faced and how you've overcame them with such beautiful tenacity. It's all about sharing stories with other women um, who have faced the same diversities and economic hurdles or social hurdles that we have faced. I mean, you, you and I both know how, how many incredible women are out there who are just bursting with ambition, but sometimes you just need the right person to help them unlock their full potential. So thank you so much. I am certain that your story will inspire. I'm actually quite sure that it has inspired me and others. Thank you so much. And hopefully we can meet in person. Thank you so much, Raha. I can't wait. And I'm going to take you up on that cup of coffee in Dubai, inshallah. Deal. Thank you to my guest for that inspirational story. Her voice are stories of inspiring and brave women brought to you by MasterCard as part of a podcast series that amplifies the voices of women through women. If you feel empowered and inspired, may this be a reminder of the impact of your own voice to encourage and drive confidence in other women. Please visit priceless.com slash her voice and get to know the stories behind the voice podcast series. I'm Raham Harag, your host, signing off for now. Stay safe and stay tuned. Ma'asalamu.